Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Regular listeners of the program know that every week we do a Friday weekly roundup of the ministry and philanthropy news for the week. Those are the episodes that I co-host with Natasha Smith. But these Ministry Watch Extra episodes, like the one you're listening to now, they're a chance for us to go deep, you might say, with our editorial partners. And today I'm pleased to have back to the program Julie Royce. Uh, Julie Royce runs the Royce Report, an investigative journalism site. She also has a podcast of her own with the very same name. So with that, Julie, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Warren. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's like likewise great to chat with you again. You know, the last time we spoke in this format, you and I, some of our listeners may not know or they may not care, but just in case they do, we <laughs> we, we talk a lot, or at least we communicate via email a lot. So, But we haven't talked in this format since um, mid-December, and that was our year-in-review program, the top stories of the year. So it's been a while since we plowed any new ground together, and all I can say, it's a good thing that nothing much has happened in the past month, or we'd be way behind, wouldn't we? <laughs> right, yeah, nothing's happened. I've just been sitting around twiddling my thumbs and, you know, hoping for some news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> obviously, we're both being facetious because a great deal has indeed happened. So let's jump right into um, some of these stories, and I want to begin with the story of Brian Lawrence. Let's start first with the headline of this week's news and then kind of work our way backwards a bit. So first, what happened with that story this week? Sure. This was kind of a stunner. The The Church of Southern Baptist Convention President, J.D. Greer, announced that it's hiring a third party to investigate Brian Loretz and his handling of sex abuse at a previous church. And the church, Summit Church, also admitted that this investigation that it had done when it first hired Brian Loretz was seriously flawed. So Brian Loritz right now is an executive pastor at uh, the Summit Church. He's also a popular conference speaker. Last year, he published like his seventh book, uh, something called The Dad Difference with Moody Publishers. And speaking of dad, uh, Brian Loritz's father is a very well-known speaker, author, uh, and pastor as well, Crawford Loritz. So this is big news uh, for Summit to announce this third-party investigation and to admit that what it, the basically the due diligence it had done before it hired Brian was insufficient. Yeah, so Brian was at a church in Memphis, Tennessee. He moved to this church, J.D. Greer's church, Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened? What, what, are the, what, in fact, are they going to investigate? Sure. Well, when they hired him, they said that they had done an investigation of some things that had happened back at Loritz's church, which was called Fellowship Memphis. Uh, it was a multicultural church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and in 2010, Loritz was the senior pastor of Memphis, uh, Fellowship Memphis, and his brother-in-law, Rick Trotter, was the worship pastor. Well, one night, uh, a female employee was using the church bathroom, and here she discovered a cell phone that was recording her. When she got that cell phone and took a look at it, she saw that there were dozens of recordings on it. So what she did, and this is according to Loritz himself, is that she gave the phone to him and he fired his brother-in-law that night, but he didn't report that crime to police. Instead, by his own admittance, he went home, uh, took the phone home with him that night, and then the next day he says he gave it to a pastor at Fellowship Memphis. The weird thing is, Warren, that... Um, that phone 
has completely disappeared. Uh, Loritz also says that he told the pastor to report the crime to Memphis police. Memphis police say they never got a report from the church. And it wasn't until 2016 that what happened was Trotter went from Fellowship Memphis to another church, repeated his crimes, and those were reported, those new crimes were reported in 2016, and he was, Trotter was eventually convicted of these crimes, I believe in 2018. All this kind of went under the radar, and in June, some of these folks reached out to me from his former church, including a, a leader who was there in the very beginning, and one of Rick Trotter's uh, alleged victims, she reached out to me as well, and both of them said, Julie, this was a major cover-up. Brian urged us not to report to police. It didn't just not happen. There was an active uh, effort on Brian's part and on the rest of the church leadership to suppress this. And so I reported all of this in June. I also reported, this isn't related to the current investigation, but it is related to Brian's character. I reported that he has a doctorate. He's, he goes around saying he has a doctorate, um, but he doesn't. He has an honorary doctorate from a school that's now I've investigated is a completely bogus school, yet he still goes by Dr. Loritz. This was reported in June. At the time, you know, Summit just didn't seem interested at all in looking into this and pretty much ignored it all. So why this came to, to light now, seven months after the reporting on it, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a very curious, very, very curious incident. Well, I think one of the reasons it probably uh, came to light now is that, um, you know, reporters like you and um, have um, kept this issue in the public um um, square, so to speak, in the public's imagination. And I think we're also seeing with the Ravi Zacharias situation, which I want to talk a little bit more about later in the program, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you know, there is kind of a day of reckoning happening in churches right now, isn't there? Yeah, a sifting and a shifting, as uh, some have said. I, I think it is happening, and I think it's for the good of the church, even though it's going to be a rough period as we face some of these things, but I think it's important to the health of the church. Yeah, well, I completely agree, of course. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and move on from that story, because I know, Julie, there probably will be more to report, because the investigation is just started, mm -hmm. and so we, I guess we can expect at some point the results of that investigation. So we'll, I'm sure, be talking about this again in the future. So so let me go ahead and move on, and I want to pivot in our conversation and talk about John MacArthur. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, this is not funny, uh, but um, it, it's uh, what I was going to say is that John MacArthur went MIA, missing in action for a while. Uh, now he's back in the pulpit, but um, what can you tell us? Do you know why he went away, and, and what were the circumstances of his return? Well, I can report the facts, right? Um, there'd be a lot that I could sort of surmise from the facts and guess it happened, but I'm just going to report the facts. And that is that about a month ago uh, at John MacArthur's church, there allegedly was a COVID outbreak. And there were a leader there at Grace Community Church who came to me as well as some members and said that the church was pressuring them not to report their COVID cases to health officials for fear of the church being shut down. 
And let, uh, let me, Julie, okay. let me pause you there for just a minute because, sure. I, you know, a lot of people might, I, I just want to be really clear about this and you may mm-hmm. not know the answer, but and if okay. you know, that's fine. But, you know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there was a local Christian school that had three cases and they called it an outbreak in the local media. Do you know what we're talking about here when we say that Grace Community Church had an outbreak? Are we talking five cases, but that passed some sort of arbitrary threshold, or are we literally talking hundreds and hundreds of cases here? I've heard people say hundreds. Um, I've heard people within the church say say hundreds, but there seems to be sort of a code of silence and a fear of speaking out about it. Uh, I will say I was able to find a number of social media posts saying there was an outbreak, especially among the Fi- Filipino um, church that was within Grace Community Church. I know the names of several staff members that I was told had COVID. Um, I couldn't get the church to confirm whether or not they had COVID. I I reached out to them numerous, numerous times, and they just would not confirm. I know for at least one leader, because he posted on Facebook saying that he had it, and there were several members that posted on Facebook that they had it. So again, it's anecdotal, and I hear these reports. It was about a week after I did my initial report, though, that I did get this uh, list that had been sent out to one of the fellowship groups they have. These are groups of about like 250 people. Um, I guess in a church of 7,000, 250 is kind of like a small group. <laughs> but, you know, these are <laughs> right. sort of smaller groups. But but these groups would meet on Sunday morning kind of during the Sunday school hour. And apparently, I mean, just from looking at that, the prayer request, there were I counted off a dozen people just in this one fellowship group, and there's multiple fellowship groups. So I counted a dozen people in that group that had COVID from just that prayer prayer sheet. So there's no doubt there was, I mean, it's it's weird that according to health officials, an outbreak is, uh, I think, three cases or more within a two-week period, which a lot of us go, three cases within, you know, a church of 7,000. But I, this was much larger. And, and the weird thing is, is before when there had been three cases, actually there were five reported to health officials, you know, that was a COVID outbreak and LA County officials reported it there at Grace. The second round, there hasn't been any reports that I'm aware of, and I've reached out to the LA County uh, health officials of anybody getting it. So, so we have this outbreak happening, and then right in the midst of it, there uh, MacArthur is scheduled to p- preach like three Sundays in a row, and he doesn't show up. And the staff said he's resting. Uh, one time they said he's preparing for the Shepherds Conference. The Shepherds Conference is in March. Um, so that just seemed a little bit odd. And then last Sunday, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, he showed up to preach, and he clearly, I mean, looks like he's lost weight. He was weak. He was coughing and trying to get his breath at first and said something about, yeah, it's still in there. So, I, I mean— But he— yeah, but he has not admitted that he had COVID. I mean, clearly he was sick, and you know he's not denied that he was sick, but he has not admitted that he had COVID. Is that correct? He has not admitted it. And one thing I I did fail to, to mention is we do know for a fact that somebody that attended Grace, who was also a seminary student at the Master Seminary, did contract COVID and die during the past month. Yeah. Well, it's um, I, I know you'll be uh, you'll stay on top of that story. It it, it continues to, uh, I mean this this story is um, fascinating to me because obviously there are some religious liberty issues that you know are worth talking about here, and I'm not trying to deny that those um, that those issues exist here, but man, oh man, I mean when you're talking about thousands of people and clearly 
uh, hundreds of um, folks that have gotten COVID. I mean, if just extrapolating from the numbers that you mentioned, if uh, if one of these small groups has 250 people and a dozen people got COVID, that's five percent, and five percent of a seven thousand person church is. 350 people. I mean, that is a that's a lot of folks. And then uh, this the Masters Conference that's coming up in March. And I think we should note that this is the end of January, so March is like a month away. Um, that's going to be a live conference. They're still planning on that being a live conference. They are, and there's thousands of people coming from all around the world. And we know that last year they had the Shepherds Conference, and two elderly people contracted COVID shortly afterwards and died who had attended. So and it's the demographic of a lot of the people that come is in kind of that high risk area. And so far, I mean, there doesn't seem to be a lot of masking or social distancing. There's a lot of churches that are meeting in person, but they're doing it with a lot of the social distancing. And actually, uh, LA County has rescinded its ban on indoor worship because they because of some of the rulings by the Supreme Court. So they did rescind it, but they said you have to meet with social distancing, with masking, and that just seems like something Grace Church is not willing to do. Yeah. Well, I mentioned uh, a little earlier that we're going to talk about Ravi Zacharias, and we will, but Julie, we first we need to take a quick break, uh, and we'll come back and have that conversation. I'm Warren Smith, and my week guest this week is Julie Royce. You're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We'll return right after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith with Ministry Watch, and my guest this week is Julie Royce of The Royce Report. Julie, before the break, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about Ravi Zacharias. Heaven knows that we've both spilled a lot of ink, or maybe I should say pixels, on this story. Uh, But at the risk of shameless self-promotion, I did want to mention that I wrote a story um, a couple of weeks ago that, that outlined a way back uh, from this horrible situation for RZIM, for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. It's a story that you also reprinted uh, at the Roy's Report, so I know that you have some interest in this notion of restoration, and I say that, of course, facetiously. I know you have a t- tremendous interest in this topic. Uh, and I'll link to the story in the show notes, and uh, we've talked about the article um, in previous Ministry Watch podcast episodes, so I don't want to rehearse too much of what's in that story per se, but I did, Julie, want to ask you this question. Do you think RZIM and its brand is permanently tarnished? Is there a way for a ministry that is actually named after the person who did the wrongdoing to make a comeback? Well, there's no doubt they have to rebrand. I mean, they can't be called Ravi Zacharias International Ministries anymore. That's clear. Um, The question is, is, is there, if they do enough restructuring and cleaning house, can they salvage this ministry? And 
That is a huge, huge question mark. I mean, I agreed with a lot of things you said about getting a whole new board, but the board also includes the CEO, which would be Sarah Zacharias. It includes Marky Zacharias, uh, Ravi's wife. Um, it has been complicit for so long. And, you know, Michael Ramsden, there's been other directors at RZIM who have called him out and said that he misled people within the organization about the truth of Ravi Zacharias. So it's... It, it's just not clear at this point, and I think maybe the Miller and Martin investigation, although I'm not sure that, that this is beyond its scope possibly, um, will get into how complicit the organization was and how deep that complicity goes. But, you know, just a couple weeks ago, I reported Ravi Zacharias had his own personal masseuse who traveled with him, who was on the payroll of RZIM. She's right there listed on the organizational chart. Even after Ravi died, she was on the organizational chart as, as late as November. She was on it. What is and, and then she supposedly head up this ministry called the Touch of Hope. Nobody seems to know what the Touch of Hope is, even within the organization. And when I asked them about it, they wouldn't give me any information either. So, I, you know, I just don't know, Warren. I, it just seems like the more we dig, the more corruption we find. And I, you know, at a certain point, you got to wonder if it's just not time to let something die and reboot. Well, that's a good question. And I'm just, I'm wondering, and of course, I, I don't mean to surprise you with this question, Julie, because it's not yeah. one that we really, uh, either one of us have really talked about in advance, but, uh, you know, when does that point come? I mean, I, I, I know this is a very, very imperfect analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway, and then let you chastise me for inappropriately using this analogy. <laughs> okay. But, you know, I mean, think about a divorce. I mean, the Bible is explicit. God hates divorce. Those are the exact words of scripture. And yet, you know, there are biblical grounds for divorce in certain situations. And so I'm just wondering, again, an imperfect analogy, but at what, but at what point do we, both as journalists, people like you and me, but also the, the church in general, at what point do we say, you know, restoration is the goal. Um, um, repentance and restoration are the goal. We should never give up. We should never, uh, you know, abandon hope that, that there might be restoration. Uh, but at some point, you know, if you've tried everything or if a situation is just, you know, gone beyond uh, where, where the people involved don't want to do the things that are necessary for restoration, at what point do you just say, no, this has got to end? We, this ministry is no longer worth supporting anymore. Well, I don't know exactly what that point is, but I will say this is a parachurch, right? It's not the church. And there are times when, even with churches, where we allow a dying church to die and we plant new ones. In fact, I, I know from studying a little bit of church growth, which is a flawed study in and of itself, but that often churches grow a lot more when you just plant a new one. And so I think that's a viable option here, and that is restorative when you plant a new one. It would be restorative for people from RZIM to say, hey, we need to reboot and let's start something new and fresh with a clean slate and maybe some fresh, fresh leadership. I know that the UK, Ravi Zacharias Trust, it's called in the UK, that has the organizational structure, I think, to reboot. And I wouldn't be surprised in the coming days if they would become a completely separate entity. 
Well, I've got to say, too, that the way the Miller and Martin uh, preliminary report was released did not inspire confidence. It was released the day before uh, Christmas Eve, (laughs) which is kind of, you know, I mean, if you want to bury a story, if you want people not to notice a story, um, that's when you would release the report. It just truly did not inspire confidence on my part. I'm wondering if you had the same reaction. Yeah, it did. Although, I mean, it was shocking to me that they even released that. And yeah, that report said very clearly that there was credible evidence that Zacharias engaged in sexual misconduct over many years. That's the first time RZIM has admitted that there was any truth to the victim's claims. And so that to me was, it was still huge. And and they're they're pledging to release the entire report in full. But again, This comes on the heels of multiple people within the organization, former speakers, Sam Alberry and uh, former director, Carson Whitenauer. I mean, some pretty heavy hitters coming out publicly, chastising their own organization and saying this whole thing needs to come, everybody needs to come clean and we want to see this full report. So there was unbelievable amount of pressure being put on RZIM. And it's stunning to me, really, that uh, Sarah Davis, uh, Zacharias's daughter, remains the CEO there. I, I'm surprised yeah. by that. Yeah, well, I am too. Well, so um, yeah, another not so great sign. We'll have to yeah. see what happens there. So, um, Julie, we've got to bring our time to a close here pretty soon. But I wanted to hit another um, couple of stories, at least one big one, before we go, and that's um, the story of uh, Dave Ramsey. Regular listeners to the podcast know that we've been covering Dave Ramsey here at Ministry Watch. Uh, since uh, probably no December, when Dave Ramsey had a big Christmas party, more than 800 people in violation of COVID protocols in the Nashville area, and, and also possibly in violation of the law itself. Then came the controversy about the double standard involving Dave Ramsey firing a pregnant, unwed employee, but doing very little about a senior executive whose divorce documents revealed a history of sexual improprieties. So uh, I just wanted to put all those facts out there because I know, Julie, you've been covering the story and we've been covering the story. A lot of our listeners probably already know some of these facts, but I just wanted to find out, you know, what your take on all of this is. I mean, is this kind of, uh, you, I know you you wrote a piece that was more of an opinion piece on Dave Ramsey. And I think you, did you call it the evangelical industrial complex or the Christian industrial complex? Uh, I think I used the evangelical industrial complex or celebrity machine. And and it was actually pulling from the audio that was released, which was just breathtaking to me, of Dave Ramsey at a staff meeting. And he addresses that one situation that you just referenced of uh, a divorce that happened between uh, a senior member there who's really kind of their money man, right? I mean, he's published books. And then uh, you have his wife, who, you know, you look at the divorce papers, he apparently was unfaithful to her numerous times. And yet, she was disparaged in front of all these employees, which, again, he's the money man, he's the celebrity. And this is what we see so often within the evangelical celebrity machine, um, that we get behind, or the celebrities get behind each other, they promote each other, they protect each other. And, you know, it, this is just really, it's a, it's a tragic story, but it was even more tragic to me when I, when I heard that audio, because then Dave Ramsey talked about three of, I would say, some of the, the worst cases of abuse within 
evangelicalism when it comes to its celebrities, Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, and Perry Noble, and the way that he framed them made them sound like they were the victims and how we should be, you know, behind them. Uh, as he put it, got, I've got your six, which means, you know, military language, your six is your back. So I got your back. So it was Dave Ramsey basically communicating this idea of loyalty to, to people. And again, the examples he gave were when he was loyal to these people who we know now have done really awful things. And even in his retelling of the story, made it almost seem like the perpetrator was the victim. And it, it was just egregious to me. Uh, and I think it's one of those opportunities to be able to speak in and say, hey, when having somebody's back means that you don't listen to the victims and impartially weigh the evidence from the beginning. Instead, you say, hey, I've got your back, buddy. You're my money man. That's that's trouble. Yeah. Well, I think there were two things about that story that concerned me. I mean, you know, Dave Ramsey's organization, Ramsey Solutions, is a private, for-profit organization, and there was a part of me that that went, you know, kind of had this conversation internally with myself. Why are we even covering this story? But I think, you know, the 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 answer to that question, at least in part, is that while Dave Ramsey's organization is a a private for-profit organization, they make millions and millions of dollars, probably in the aggregate, tens of millions of dollars over the years from churches. They do their Financial Peace University in churches, uh, donor money goes into the church and then goes out the back door to Dave Ramsey's organization. So I really think that this is an issue that, you know, those of us that are involved in Christian ministry need to pay attention to. And I think you're right, too, uh, whenever you start uh, looking at Dave Ramsey's behavior, it's behavior that we see all too commonly among megachurch pastors and ministry leaders, isn't it? Oh, it is. And again, I hope that we get to the point where this network of celebrities and heavy hitters within evangelicalism, instead of protecting one another, that they instead use their influence to bring accountability to one another. That's what we need to see. So I'm I'm hoping. I mean, these are the th- the themes that we'd keep pounding on. It's just accountability and 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 being honest and true with one another. And that's what I'd like to see. I, I hope I, Dave Ramsey is one where I really really would like to see restoration. I'd like to see a little bit of humility and repentance and and some reconciliation with some of these people who have been estranged. That would be really beautiful to see. Well, it certainly would. Well, Julie, uh, we've got to uh, end our time together, but just real quickly, uh, what have you got in your pipeline? What do we expect to see from the Rose Report in the next couple of weeks? Well, um, <laughs> I, I have a story I'm, I'm reluctant to speak too much about right now, um, although it does involve MacArthur and his church. And so uh, looking a little bit at the finances and what's going on there. So that one will be coming very soon and um, may surprise some folks. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely stay tuned for that. So, uh, Julie, thanks again for being on the program. To find out more about the Roy's Report and the stories that we discussed today, you can go to roysreport.com, and Roy's is spelled R-O-Y-S. To find out more about Ministry Watch, of course, you can go to ministrywatch.com. A couple of housekeeping items before we go. Um, First, I want to remind everybody that we at the Ministry Watch website have started posting salary information of the senior leadership of the largest Christian ministries in the country. We've been posting financial information for more than 20 years on our website, but we've just recently added the salary information. We've got salaries from 
for for more than 3,000 ministry leaders from about 500 of the 750 ministries that are in our database. So it's a really robust additional resource that we have there on the database, and I'd uh, be um, grateful. And also, I think you would benefit if you'd go check it out. So it's uh, ministrywatch.com and then hit the red search for a ministry button up at the top of the page. the second thing I want to mention to you is that we'd love to have you rate us on our podcast app. It's a way that you can support the program that doesn't cost you a dime, just costs you a few seconds to rate us on your podcast app, and it helps us uh, be more findable, discoverable on uh search algorithms. So rate us on your podcast app. It'll be a big help to us. And finally, both the Royce Report and Ministry Watch are donor-supported ministries. You can contribute to whichever one you want to, Julie or me, (laughs) by going to our respective websites, royceport.com or ministrywatch.com. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy, and we get database technical and editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, along with this week's guest, Julie Royce. Julie, thanks again for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Warren. Great to be with you. Yeah, likewise. Good to be with you. Until next time, may God bless you.